Welcome to Good Service. We are your hosts, Ben Chung. And Kevin Zha. Each week, we'll be breaking bread and having real, raw, and vulnerable talks about life, faith, and everything in between, and always over a fire meal. Thanks for joining our table today. Let's eat. Folks, welcome or welcome back to another episode of Good Service. We are your hosts, Ben. And Kevin. And we have our very, very, very talented, amazingly wonderful, awesome friend. She is a filmmaker. (laughs) She is a runner. And she's just an amazing person. Emily Timmer, welcome to Good Service. Thank you. Finally. I'm I'm a fangirl. We've had some scheduling issues and we almost had another one today. But by the grace of God, we have our good friend, Brandon, who came to save the day. Thank you, Brandon. Because Kevin and I are audio duds. We don't know anything (laughs) technical of how to do a podcast other than talk. But uh, we made it happen. Yes. So it's thank the right you. timing. It is yeah. the right timing. I think today, no, I was driving here thinking this is it. This is the right this timing. This is, this is. You look Felt ready it. for action. I am ready for action. <laughs> I'm going straight from here to coaching. So, yeah. And you're going to be there, which I am is exciting. Be there. So Ben's yeah. training for a marathon. I am training for a marathon. Yeah. I got to run in today. Yeah. It was difficult. It was like 89 degrees. Wait, you got to run in already today mm-hmm. and you're going tonight? Yeah, I'm going to a day today. That's how okay. I go. I'm busting I'm out my serious. busting out my David Goggins, you yeah. know, and trying to trying to get wow. extra ready for this thing. Uh, yeah, you gotta but, get a singlet too. Oh yeah. Oh, will I? How do, how do you we'll get? Talk, we'll talk. How about do you that. get that? Okay, um, I, I have the link for you. Okay, sick, yeah. sick, sick. Okay, cool, cool. Um, well, welcome, and uh, we already have our food in front of us, and this one we don't want it to melt. So yeah, we want so to get it even faster. Yeah, even faster into the food. <laughs> Every episode, we kind of have a different speed of when we actually get into the food. Yes. Right. And yes. Uh, for the sake of things not getting cold and not melting, we're trying to get into it faster. So today, yeah. we are enjoying truly acai. The weather kind of calls for it. It's summertime. It's hot. And so uh, we we wanted to go uh, Brazilian style. So we're going into some acai bowls. Look at this ASMR here. Uh, yeah. Look at this. <laughs> you, you gave me so many nourishing things in here that I, I can't even know, identify. Like I don't know what you're for your run. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then we got Baonji Queijo. This is Brazilian cheese bread. Um, this is literally like my favorite type of bread. Uh, once I went to Brazil and I discovered this cheese bread, I'm like, yo, I only want to eat. Yeah, you discovered the bread in, in Brazil? Brazil. I never had this before. How is how is this <laughs> in comparison? I don't to know. The bread Let's in try Brazil? it. I never ha- I haven't had one. Tell yet, me. So tell me, me how it's So up. I discovered this bread like a normal Los Angeles native, <laughs> which I went to a Brazilian barbecue, yeah, okay. a, tru- mm-hmm. a churrascaria, and shout out to. There's so many of them. But um, I think one of my favorites, because we're in L.A., is M. Grill. M. Grill. K-Town. Shout out. Yeah. This is not from M. Grill, no. though. <laughs> this, is, this is from Truly Aside. Truly Thank Aside. You, Truly have you guys Aside. had that stuff when you have meat in Brazilian cuisine? There's like that, pow- not powder, it's like mm. that. It's mm-hmm. farafo, I think it's called. Have you had I don't that? know what the crumbs are. But, but you dip. Totally. Meat I totally into know it. what you're talking about. It's so good. They put it on everything. Mm-hmm. Shout out to my Brazilian friend, yes. Sofia. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Brazil, man. Um, wow, this is so nourishing. I yes. Like I don't even understand. And then we have what's called Brazilian bites. I think, mm. well, let's discover what a Brazilian bite is in real time. There better be like a full like little picanha in there. <laughs> I think there is a meat filling in here. There's a surprise. All right. Oh, okay. What is it's it? It's like a um, potato ball 
with um, I feel like this is a chicken. Chicken. Okay. It, you know why I think it's chicken? It's, it's because I chicken. chose chicken. So it must be chicken. Because <laughs> it give you an option of what kind Could of. Could be wrong. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. But it was good. It was very mm. good. So Emily, <laughs> welcome back. You were traveling for a while. Um, I was. Until very recently. Yeah. You know, before we get into all your crazy, um, who you are, where you're at today, can you give us a little bit of a background of how it all started? You don't need to go crazy deep origin, or you can if you want to, but like give us the- Deep origin. Deep origin (laughs) of Emily Timmer. You said how it all started, so you mean my life and (laughs) all the pieces. (laughs) Whatever that means to you. Mm, Okay, so this is a really interesting moment you guys are finding me in because two passions that led me very different directions for most of my life are intersecting in this moment in my life. I actually thought about that this weekend when I was in Boulder for running. Um, When I was like a child, let's say zero to 13, I was a little performer. I lived in my own world. I was Mm. constantly creating. I was the youngest of four. Siblings are a bit older, twin brothers that are four years older than me, a sister that's six years older. So I was that kid that like was content to be making up my own worlds for like eight hours a day. I mean, Mm, I would just wander off. I would play with my friends, I would play with my siblings, but I I had such a like, thinking about it now, it's like I had such a like rich inner life as a child, just imagining and going places and then staying there for hours. So creative, like deeply, deeply creative from zero to 13. And then this weird shift, partly good, but partly intense and ultimately negative (laughs) shift happened when I turned 13. Mm. And that shift was that I sort of, I mean, I I think I was wired and still am to want to do something distinct and unique in the world and to be distinct and unique. And everybody finds their path to do that. So when I was a child, you know, really that wasn't on my radar yet. But when I hit that like 12, 13, you know, when you start to really think about life, I remember sitting down with my parents. This is really intense. I think about my niece who's 13 doing this and it's gnarly. Like what an age. I was like, mom and dad. And I start crying and I'm like, I I don't know how to do something so that I don't just blend in to like billions of people. Like how do I stand out? How do I do something so that my life matters? Like how do I be unique? It was really important question time for me out. Did you Did you say you were an only child? No, youngest oh. of four. Youngest yeah. of four. Interesting. And it was just so important to me to do something unique and significant at the time, there was probably, you know, some f- fear or some sense of needing to be special, but there was also this drive in me from a young age. And so that's where the shift took place. And all of a sudden I started to make these choices that like I succeeded at, but probably weren't ultimately the best for my flourishing. So I decided randomly summer of 13 years old to just cut out junk food from my diet, like full on. I just went cold turkey on it. I was like, I'm gonna eat healthy. I'm gonna train all summer because I wanna go back and be fast. I was into running already. And it was like this pivot that, and I remember as well making this choice to to like classic overachiever, like why would I ever get an A minus again from this point on? It was like a vow to myself. I will mm. never, I will never be subpar. Can I ask, Is was there um, body image consciousness? 100%. Oh. And that's a whole conversation, I think, on its own. Um, the particular culture and the time I was raised in my culture, it just, identity 
and your appearance are one and the same. Mm. So as a woman, it's like your mm -hmm. size yeah. is your distinguisher. Mm. Um, I'm really glad that's changing. I'm really glad there's more conversations around that. Mm -hmm. At my 13 year old era, you know, self that wasn't happening. Mm. And yeah, it was a sense that the size I took up in the world was the most pivotal piece of my identity. That was something I think that was foreign to me at first as a child, but then the older I got and the more you enter into, you know, the world of women and adults, like that was just something that was in the water. And so that was a shift that I ultimately realized like, dang, I'm pretty good at like being thin. I'm pretty good at being fit, pretty good at, you know, like getting these, you know, achievements and accolades academically, running sports. And you know, you can do that to achieve something or you can do that to really, there's two purposes. Like I could do that because I just wanted to achieve, but I think I was doing it just because I wanted to find a thing that made me unique in the world. Mm -hmm. And this happened to be something that people were like, oh, nobody else is doing that, you know, in this tiny school that you're at. But that shift was huge because after that point, the little creative spark in me was still there, but it was slowly getting choked out. Mm. And it was because I, I, 13 years old started to allow, I would say it was control, like a seed of control that was born of fear. The fear that I wouldn't be good enough, the fear that people wouldn't like or see or um, value me. And so then from that point, that fear, you know, resulted in more and more control over my body, over my image, over my achievements, over all these things. And that really deteriorated till I was like 21, guys. It was bad. Mm. This was like the dark years, which I can talk about pretty freely now because I, f I feel like a different person. And at that time, mm -hmm. I don't know. It was like a full-on breakdown I got to by 21 years old. All the creative, Emily, all the free, social, like expressive, lively Emily had shrunk down to a pinhole by the time I was 21. So I went through high school progressively needing to exercise more and more and more every day. Um, I look at friends who have other addictions, like I've had friends who've struggled with alcoholism or drug addiction. And I really, at the core of it, don't see a difference between what I experienced and what they did. It just happened to be that what was available to me was an addiction that was like more socially acceptable, which was mm. addiction to exercise. Yeah. And people applauded that for a while, like you're so fit, you know, and so I could just keep going. And so by 21, I really had reached a breakdown. I was totally isolated by choice. I was pretty obsessive compulsive with cleaning and with exercise. I was working out like four, four hours a day, just injured all the time, couldn't stop. And I couldn't, this is so crazy. I couldn't listen to music at the time. Hmm by 20 to 21. If I would listen to music, it like opened a portal in me that was too painful and too, I think would show me too much how much I had sacrificed in my life. Wow. Like all these feelings and things that like, I was a child who loved music, you know, gradually shrunk out of my life because of this control. And there, it's wild to think about now, but there was a point where I couldn't listen to music or I would just sob and I couldn't go there. Hmm. So crazy. So by that, like just any music or uh, well, like music that I would have chosen to that I would have enjoyed or that reminded me of things. Um, so weird fact, I listened to sports radio like four hours a day and would call into the local sports radio station. And, like, 
Wow, wild, right. wild times. Can I ask? Okay, I'm gonna ask a bunch of ignorant questions because I don't, for it. I don't know the. Because yeah, as you describe um, this addiction that you call, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would easily fall into the category of wow, that sounds like a great thing. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had that. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I'm sure a lot of people, maybe jokingly or maybe just kind of like, wow, it doesn't sound that bad, right? Because normally you would think an addiction comes with a negative consequence, right? What what was or what were the negative consequences of what you had outside of not being able to listen to music and getting sad and things like that? The first three years, two years, probably not much. I was just super thin and ripped and like had a six pack at 13. It was like crushing it. No, it doesn't, right? (laughs) Until you realize that um, young men and young women's bodies are supposed to go through certain changes from 12 to 16 years old that are pretty pivotal for bone health, Mm. hormonal health, Mm -hmm. stuff that sets you up for the rest of your life. There's a lot more research on this now. And I actually ended up studying it in college while I was still the prime example. But what happens when you undernourish, as a woman, undernourish your body in that era of life is that often you end up not producing estrogen, Mm. which is really key for a function like estrogen essentially to simplify, acts like a little dump truck that brings calcium to your bones. And this era of like 12 to 18 is when most of your health in your bones is is developed, the calcium's deposited, there's bone strengthening. It's like when you get most of that um, built. So at the time, I had none of that. I was over-exercising to the point that everything was delayed. I had no estrogen. I had 5% body fat, which body fat is also linked to estrogen production and then to bone health. And so I had what's called osteopenia, which is not quite osteoporosis, but it's like porous on the verge of porous bones Mm. because I wasn't deposit. And I was a runner, which usually builds bone health because it's weight bearing. So that was really a concern. And that developed a little later, but it was always something I was like, well, I'm not anorexic and I'm not bulimic because, you know, like I eat and I don't I don't purge my food. Like it was a thing that now we know is orthorexia Mm. where I'm like, oh, I'm still eating a lot, but nobody could really identify. And so I would say the negative effects were definitely that on my health, constant injuries. Um, And then a constant state of overtraining ultimately creates deficits that affect you emotionally too and Mm. mentally. And so there was like pretty severe depression by the end. Mm. And then the big kicker, the darkest moment of my life, in hindsight, I just want to give that little girl a hug. But when I was 21, I ran so much, I got a stress fracture and basically cracked a bone in a race and had to be in a boot. And then that was the catalyst I would say for the worst and best thing that happened which was I I couldn't do it anymore like I couldn't live that life firstly it wasn't me Uh, I'm not an isolated you know loner person who's who's dry and sciencey and I was studying exercise science at the same time you know so it was just this whole obsession that took over my life and cut out all these parts of me that are me I think what's so remarkable about this though guys like If I were to rewind to 12-year-old Emily, which was just six months before I think I made that switch, my dad was a pastor, and I would go with him sometimes while he was working at church. There was one one time, one of the the probably most significant memories of my life. 
I go to my dad's office. He's working in the main sanctuary. And I just go into his office to like play with paintbrush on the computer, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was like the coolest thing to me. And I get into the office the moment I walk in. This has never happened before and not like that. It's not happened since. I just fell, fell to the floor. And I was so filled with this it's like incredible, very thick, very overwhelming presence of love. Mm. I was like pressed to the floor. I was crying. I'm 12 years old, right? I hadn't anticipated anything. I'm not at a meeting. This just happened. And I'm laying on the floor feeling so loved, like beyond anything I think I ever knew. It was, it was so tangible. It was so sudden, so overwhelming. And I remember like just reaching for a piece of paper and trying to scribble down, like people talk about heaven or whatever, right? But this feeling feels like what people would talk about and I'm feeling it right now. This is 12 year old Emily writing that out. Mm-hmm. I still have that. And then I just remember this feeling of just such a divine love that like had me. Like I wasn't, like it felt so safe and it felt so solid and it felt so permanent. And when I reflect on that and that six months later, my life took this other turn, it's so crazy to me because now I look back and I'm like, that was this mark. I feel like that God put within me and this seed and this like, I've got you that happened just before the darkest six years of my life progressed. Did something happen for you to like, did your dad say something? No, he wasn't there. So you just went into the office and this just happened. Yeah. Wow, it's wow. it's so wild because hmm. I look back and I'm like, dang, I don't think I realized till a number of years after rehab, which I went to rehab in 2008 when I dropped out of school with the stress fracture. I didn't realize till then I was like, oh, my gosh, like it gave me extraordinary hope at that point because I was like, you you knew and you weren't going to let me be consumed by this because I will tell you when I 2007 darkest, darkest, you know, suicidal, like ideation, all of that. Hmm. I thought it, I thought it was done. I can't explain unless you guys have experienced it too, the feeling that your life is actually over, but you're still living it, that there's really nothing left for you. Mm-hmm. It feels like a black curtain coming down over your future. I remember sitting in a YMCA parking lot, trying to go work out, having no energy to do it in a boot, trying to hide that I'm working out cause I'm not supposed to. And just feeling so Like I was so far underwater, I was trying to like scream or let something out, didn't even have a voice anymore and just felt like that curtain came down. And like, this is it. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know how I'm gonna live a life. It's so hard to explain now because I'm like, wow, you like you didn't know what was ahead. But at the time it felt like everything was over. And then to get to this point where I remembered that 12 year old moment and remembered the feeling of that, it was just, the feeling of like finding a seed in you that hasn't mm-hmm. died when there's been a horrific fire or something and it's still mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And that thing's gonna sprout and it did. And I would say though, not to make it all heavy, cause in hindsight, I'm like, I have a sense of humor about it now. Mm-hmm. Cause that poor Emily that had really fragile control issues and had my whole identity wrapped up in like, you know, do I weigh 110 pounds? You know, I should never weigh that, you know, I'm Dutch. Uh, we got we got good bone structure. <laughs> it's like thick. But that Emily that was like wrapped up around that that was like you need to work out four hours a day. Everything had shrunk down to calories in, calories out, counting constantly, exercise. How do I look? How am I performing? Like shrunken life. 
And to look back and just be like, man, the, the way that that felt then and the way that my life felt like it ended, I am so grateful mm. that I had that shattering. Because from then on, if your life shatters once, you're kind of like, okay, mm. well, that happened. What's next, yeah. Scott? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there's a fragility I lost Did after that. Did you go that. through this alone? I mean, were your parents just totally unaware that this was something that you were sort of going through, struggling with? Were you sharing this with anybody? Yeah, I mean, they knew. It's just hard. In that era, it was hard to identify if it wasn't kind of the classical examples of a girl struggling with this stuff, you know, like I said, anorexia, believe me, it was like, what's going on? Yeah. I just looked like a hyper-disciplined elite runner that I was trying to be at like 13, 14, 15. And they knew, I mean, they were with me every step of the way. Props to my parents, honestly. Mm, yeah. Incredibly loving, but also learning as they went too. Mm -hmm. My mom definitely knew more intuitively than my dad as a woman. And as a woman who'd been around and experienced elements of an eating disorder, she was like, I like, and I was a strong-willed kid, let mm -hmm. me tell you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that was the other thing. Like, I always just had a strong personal sense of direction for better or sometimes for worse. And so I was just certain this was right. Mm. And that, no, I'm just training and I'm just eating healthy and I'm just taking care of my body. And so I'm sure that in hindsight now, they were like wrestling with their overly confident 15 year old daughter who was mm. like, no, I'm doing great. Meanwhile, I'm injured every week. And mm. so it was complicated. And they, I will say they never were the parents to like put their foot down and be like, I demand you do this or you do that. They were just kind of, wanting to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And there were times I was willing and there were times I would break down on that and times I would be like, no, this is fine. This is who I am. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's something that you were sharing that I wanted to highlight was that um, this is why I love podcasts in general, because like the story you're sharing, even though it's so specific to Emily and so specific to your life, I am 100% sure that there's so many people hearing this going, I'm living that which is like crazy mm -hmm. and and I'm I'm sure of it mm -hmm. and as they listen to this and I think it's not more just identifying with it is 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 something that is always feels kind of nice cuz like when you're in the suffering mm -hmm. you feel so alone yeah and especially when you're not connected to your higher power connected to God what happens is like you feel so special in mm -hmm. that way too where like oh no I'm the only one in so the world true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is broken this way, you know? So true. And you just feel like there's literally nobody that will understand. And the fact that we get to sh share your story like this is awesome. And, but the, also the parallels in addiction of like, whatever the addiction is, yeah. that downward moment, the bottom of the barrel feeling, you know, hitting your rock bottom, and then life afterwards and what that looks like. Mm it's crazy as you're like explaining that I have, I have a few rock bottom stories myself. So like, as you're sharing it, I love how you're like describing that, that ultimate black curtain feeling. Cause it's almost like an out of body experience, which is Completely. like really weird. It's like, you're looking at the empty shell of your body, but you're living it. Mm -hmm. It's like very weird. That's right? a really good way to put it. Yeah. It's like I, dissociative, I, but you, you're stuck there. Yes. And then you're stuck in it, living it. And then, but strangely enough, this is why I love God, is that when you mentioned you, you, I love how you did it too. You did it like a movie where you just go back 
to your 12 year old self in that moment where you met the Lord and there's a seed that was planted. What was strange is I, I know exactly what you mean, because when God has you from whenever he had you, whenever he knew you, whether it was maybe you didn't have the encounter, but your mother did or your father did. So the seed that might not even been even there, it could have even been before. And this is why I love generational blessings is that like my mom prayed for me and I'm 100 percent sure why that is why I even know God today, like for yeah. sure. And Fact. like in that dark, dark black curtain moment, I still remember there was like this little thumb of warmth somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I was like, for and for whatever that was, was made me like look for something else than this. It's so true. It's like mm -hmm. crazy. No, it's it's real. I mean, I can identify that exact moment mm -hmm. you're talking about as well. Like, I think sometimes it's easy for us to fixate on the ways that there's so many things that could go wrong or have gone wrong. And it's not as easy or natural mentally to focus on all the ways that there are these incredible strands of hope or um, love or people or God reaching out to us that just aren't going to break. And it was 2008. It was two months before I decided to go to rehab and I was on a walk. This was the darkest of the dark. This was a full on curtain down for two months. I had just lived in a, a semi internally comatose state of like waiting for, I don't know what I was waiting for. There was nothing to wait for. It was scary for my, my parents. I know to see me like that. So I end up going out on this walk at this place called Chambers Bay, which will come into the story later. And it is like, it is the darkness that won't even allow you to enjoy the sun being out and being in this stunning place. Everything feels desaturated mm. and menacing. Mm. And all of a sudden, like, I gotta use the visual language because that's how it felt. It felt, it felt like the, like this curtain, this cloud gets pulled back over my head. Some, again, a little piece of that 12 year old, oof, I'm loved, rushes back into me. And I stopped right there. And this comes totally foreign to me. Like I'm just stuck in this thing and all of a sudden I feel this feeling. And this paragraph just like drops into my head fully formed as um, the crux of it was, you will not stay here. And it was a you, it was like talking to me. You will not stay here. Um, this is not your life. In a year, everything will be different. And I was just like, I just stood there and I was like, okay. And it was this one moment I was like, I'm just going to believe that. <laughs> that doesn't feel like it comes from me. And that comes from something that feels really real. And I think probably because it reminded me of that feeling of being so loved, so loved beyond myself, beyond what I had or hadn't done. So seen beyond any of that, that I just was also desperate. So I just grabbed onto it and that didn't make everything easier. It didn't mean my depression left, but it was this thing I was holding on to. Mm. And two months later I was in rehab. And the journey began and I reflected the next year at Christmas. Let me tell you, the drastic shift between 2008 and 2009 is jarring. You could see it in photos. I wish I could show you. I was a new person. Um, problems weren't solved. Eating disorder still had to be like worked out for a number of years, but the hope and the sense of aliveness and the me that had shrunken away coming back to life was, was really real. And so these moments that, you know, everything feels so, so dark that there's this pinhole that you're like, but I, you know, this bit of hope 
I just couldn't encourage people more that those aren't wishful thinking, mm. that it's not just delusion. <laughs> I mean, the amount of times I've lived this, I've become by practical experience an optimist. Not to say that the horrible stuff doesn't happen, but those, you know, pinholes of light, those pricks of like being loved, they grow into something mm, yeah. every single time. Yeah. And it doesn't eliminate the pain and the darkness, but it, it somehow becomes like one of my favorite authors, J.R. Tolkien talks about this. He has this quote that has become like a life quote where he says, the reason he wrote stories and reflected life in his stories is he wanted to give people a glimpse of joy a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. And I think what strikes me about that quote is that grief and despair can feel so strong, but almost in that quote I see that as a coin where wherever you find grief and despair, attached to it with the same weight and the same strength as joy and is this mm. sense of hope and possibility. And so it doesn't eliminate the pain, but it changes it for us. Um, that's me getting philosophical, guys. No, I love that. <laughs> Actually, as you were talking, um, so I mean, Emily, I look at you as somebody, um, I would categorize you as a high achiever, mm. right? You have a high standard of um, quality of life. Let's just call, mm. call it that. Because I think even you being this 13 year old, um, just like super focused on your fitness and super disciplined with your diet and all that stuff, right? Um, that's like this, that's not technically, most people aren't like that. Mm. Um, I actually recently learned something. I heard this and I'd actually love to get the room's take on this. Um, so I, I saw this video on IG and I guess this guy was either like a former CIA guy or something. And he was talking about the first thing that when you enter the CIA, what they ask you is, uh, do you have some level of childhood trauma? Mm. And, and the reason being well. is that they say that um, most often, those who are high achievers have had some level of childhood trauma, just mm. enough, not to the extremity of, I mean, there's all, you know, spectrum of trauma, but just enough to the point where something has happened to you, where it pushes you to be like, I never want to experience that again, mm -hmm. therefore, I need to work harder than the next person so mm -hmm. that I don't experience whatever that thing mm. that you consider traumatic was. And so, um, and so he says, you know, and you know, there's, again, there's all, there's a spectrum of it, but like, you know, those who um, seek the approval of others, right? Like if I, I'm only going to be accepted if I'm exceptionally better than the average person at X, Y, or Z. So that's yeah. why I'm gonna work harder than the next person. I'm gonna, you know, yeah, like I'm not gonna settle for an A minus because that is sub, mm. you know, sub excellent. Mm -hmm. So, um, cause I, you know, and, I, and as I was like listening to this thing, I was like, whoa. Cause I, I view myself as a high achiever mm -hmm. as well. Like I don't, I don't, like when something is considered average, I'm like, okay, I have to be above average. Like that's just always how I think I have to be above, maybe not the best, but I have to be above average. I can't yeah. settle for average. And, um, and I've seen, you know, myself in terms of like, oh yeah, I guess in my life, I've always kind of, not in every category, but the things that I actually care about, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be above average at that. Cause I actually care about that. And so, and then when I think about 
do I have trauma? Because <laughs> after I saw this video, I was like, where does that come from, you know? Mm. And then I was like, yeah, I actually can, I think I can pinpoint where those traumatic things were, you know, where I was, um, I was like, I was othered, you know what I mean? Like you are the other, you are the one who sticks out in this group. And so in order for you to um, not feel this like, oh yeah, you, you're not one of us kind of thing. Like, okay, then I have to rise above uh, the average so that like, I'm actually like, wow, he's actually exceptionally better or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think I've gotten that even from my childhood with uh, my parents to friends and racism and like all the things, right? And then me like having body image issues too. Like I was like the chubby kid my whole life. And so I'm like, I never want to be the chubby kid ever again. So I think as you're talking about like pushing yourself, you know, like right, right now I'm like, okay, I'm going to get into a marathon mode again and then i'm like cool then i'm gonna start doing two a days and then, you know, like, <laughs> i see you so i see my you. mind my mind goes there that's why guys yeah. like david got i mean talk about trauma like this guy <laughs> had the craziest life oh, and yeah. so i mean i'm not trying to glorify or put on a pedestal this sort of like oh those who have received trauma you guys are gonna kill it in life you know but like i i do i am curious and interested um again just like just in the room too um like what are your guys's views of um i think most people have some level of trauma mm. growing up i think it's pretty tough to just grow up without just like perfect life and nothing ever nothing ever challenging ever has ever happened to me and of course like yeah my dad getting shot when i was 14 like all this stuff just mm. adds up and me having to sort of like be the man of the house at a, at a young age and things like that so curious i'll, I'll let me toss it to you first emily like um, do you feel like there was any level of that that may have contributed to you sort of kind of entering that phase at 13? Gosh, maybe. Um, mm. Sometimes I have a hard time identifying that because I did have, to my knowledge, a pretty lovely childhood. <laughs> and I think as you're talking, one of the thoughts that came to me is like, yeah, it life is going to throw wrenches in the plan all the time mm -hmm. and so that looks like trauma or that looks like grief or that looks like kids growing up in environments that aren't conducive to their flourishing and that's for all of us i think as i was hearing you talk about achievers my my thought process on this is usually that contained in how you have coped with the negative stuff in your life is not just the negative coping is also a window to show you your greatest strengths, right? So some mm. people are gonna respond, everybody's gonna respond in a unique way. Right. I think partly some people, even apart from trauma, are just wired to wanna go out and do huge, enormous things in the world. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, for me, I don't think that's always tied to trauma. I think sometimes people just come out, like I just shot out of the womb ready to go. Like, you know, like <laughs> let's get after this. Yeah, I know a few people like that. Yeah, <laughs> and so there's partly that, right? Yeah. There's partly, there's just something about our unique singular makeup that's like, this is how I'm gonna take on the world. And there's gonna be stuff that happens to me in the process, and I'm gonna respond to it in a particular way based on who I am. Now, I do think you're probably right. There are some people that that's really accentuated the moment something really negative or destructive happens in their life and it kind of kicks off this thing that's like well i'm gonna prove or but i think what's interesting is just like even reframing it to to look at our younger selves and be like okay this and this happened and you coped like this and that was pretty destructive at the time but what else 
was that about? What's the, what's mm. the powerful, singular, amazing, positive side of that coping mechanism that you can kind of recognize now and allow to flourish and maybe allow the negative elements of the coping to, with time and effort, go? And I would say, like, for me, I was born loving being on a stage <laughs> like mm. and loving being in front of people and love and like you could just be like oh she's the youngest of four they just love attention well maybe honestly mm. um and maybe they just we just love to achieve and we just love to be singular and all those, those things so that could just be something i was born with um i you know i can't speak to feeling like i've had specific trauma i i really i do feel like i was blessed in that way there was hard stuff but not traumatic but i think this is a little side a side note, but I think what one powerful thing when I look back at that like hyper achiever, right? That girl that was like, I need to do this or I will die if people don't know that I'm special. Mm. Poor thing. Um, <laughs> contained in that with time and with mm. maturation, which we all have to go through, mm -hmm. was exactly the gift I have to give the world. It was exactly the person I'm supposed to be. So instead of discarding that and being like, ah, oh, I don't want to be an attention hungry attention seeker or I don't want to be such a perfectionist. I sat in an acting class like six years ago with this, this actress, uh, former actress, incredible teacher, highly successful woman, but she knows what's up. And she looked at us and she said, some of you in this room have felt guilty for, for loving being on a stage and for, for being driven and for being mm. this kind of person. And maybe you've had families or you've had people who are like, that's a negative quality. She said, well, I'm here to tell you that 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 in you channeled healthfully is your greatest strength and the world actually needs the people who are going to stand on a stage and say the things that we need to hear. And it was a really wild moment because I was like, yeah, <laughs> there's just a way oh. to do it that matures, that it's less about me and more just like this is what I'm here to do. So let's talk about important stuff. I've got a voice. I'm going to use mm -hmm. it. And it doesn't have to be a big ego trip and it yeah. doesn't have to be tied to all my negative coping mechanisms. It's just like, as I grow, I can be like, hey, what's good about the excellence I desire? What's good about wanting to be in front of people sharing things that matter? What's good about wanting to be a filmmaker where I make a movie out of my life or out of my story? It's not all just ego. Of mm. course, it's always a mixture. But a lot of it is like, this feels really important and this feels like something that will lift people that mm -hmm. will cause people to awaken and to flourish i really feel like i want to do it that's what i'm here for hey guys thank you so much for listening to this episode so far just to keep it real it takes time energy and resources to produce this pod if you feel led to you can support us by donating on cash app at good service podcast any amount large or small is truly appreciated thank you guys so much we love y'all back to the episode I love I love that conversation too because I know we started on the topic of uh, hot take on people that you know like I, I have a hot take on people that overachieve through pain by the way <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, meaning like for me I know I know it sounds awesome mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying like it sounds like you know cars are exploding behind me and I'm walking away <laughs> you know like that's what it sounds I can see like. you doing that yeah yeah slow mo <laughs> car explosion yeah, walk yeah. you know David Goggins is dope I love that yeah, guy yeah, yeah. I think he's amazing yeah. I love watching his stuff too shout but, out David yeah Shay, shout out to you <laughs> yeah. brother and the way the way you motivate people cuz some people need motivation and I get it right um but I also like in this season of my life is that I don't like glorifying that either mm. only cuz like 
I know, I know what that drives to. I know that inspires negative culture. Yeah. I know that inspires toss, toxic culture. I promise you right now for whoever's listening, if I could take away my trauma, I would in a second. Even if it gave me all the good things that I have, wow. I would still not want to go through that. For like, sure. it just sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> however, however, that's that's just where I am today on it. But there are so many good things that we talked about right after where, you know, you don't have to throw away the baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. They say that all the time, which is like a long time ago, there was bath being drawn in a little bowl with babies. There was a little baby yeah, yeah, There's the a little bath. baby. <laughs> Just explain the metaphor. And I so, forever did not know what that meant. Oh, like, that, what that's does that even mean? You yes. throw out bath water and there's a baby in there? Yeah, yeah. So when you throw away <laughs> the tub. What's a baby doing? Yeah. So when you push there? the tub out, the baby's in there because you're washing the baby. But that whole term is saying, even in those dark moments, there was so much good in that. Like, even in this story of like, this crazy obsessive nature of like trying to get this ultimate success that led to depression, there was still uh, the ability to achieve, right? That that was born in that, where you take all the bad away, but then the good that came from it will always stay with you in understanding how to motivate, coach, and help others achieve. Because mm -hmm. yeah. there's good, good in that. And so I think that's, something that I literally recently have been going through myself where it's like, I have been having this like radical encounter with God in the last year. And so there was a moment really early on where I was just like, I'm just, I'm just going to stop doing everything and just do God stuff. Like there was a moment where I just kind of wanted to just throw everything away, which wouldn't have been even glorifying to what he wants me to do because the stage was built this network, this uh, skill, this talent, whatever that's been building over all these years, now it could be repurposed for something greater, you know? And I think um, that's something that I had to like really meditate and reflect through and understand. And I think there's so such uh, a good lesson in that too. And I think um, I definitely wanted to double click that when you were talking about it, because that's what, she, you know, how um, the, Teach, a teacher, the mm -hmm. teacher was saying, um, I think that was part of also the point that she was making, which is awesome. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that that's always something that is really easily thought of to do, which is like, let me just re like, let me just blow this up yeah. and reset it, which is not always the best, but it feels like yeah, more of the same a little bit, you know, this like pendulum yeah. we go to, I think reflecting on the Emily that was so hyper-driven, the part of the story, guys, that followed is hilarious because I feel like I lived through six years of like total failure. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the funny part of the story. I've mm. lived extremes. It was like the Emily that was so insecure mm. because real talk, I went through puberty at 23 years old because I mm. finally had enough body fat. I wow. finally had all of the right hormonal stuff. That was a jarring experience. And there are probably some listeners who are like, well, maybe that's, maybe that's not you, but maybe, you know, that kind of experience of something falling apart so much, even after you start to get the healing, right? So I go to rehab. Mm. That's amazing. My first thought after rehab is, well, now my life is going to be fixed. <laughs> you know, this is awesome. And it really didn't look like that to my prior Emily's, you know, expectation. What happened was 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. 
I gained a lot of weight because I was going through body changes. I also had to relearn entirely like a baby my relationship with food because one sucky thing about an eating disorder is like you learn to dissociate from your hunger and fullness cues constantly and you really don't even know anymore that intuitive connection which sucks. So there were these years of like feeling like I would wake up a lot of those days being like, well, at least I'm not there anymore, but I hate myself. I feel like a failure. All of that like rigidity in my mind from 13 year old, year old Emily to like 21 year old Emily that was like, oh, I'm, I'm better because I'm this, that was now turned against me because I wasn't that anymore. And so I was the person I would ridicule in my head. And what's so interesting about that is the extreme of like perfection I felt like I'd achieved, then lost, then lived. In comparison, I felt like such a failure. I mean, this cannot be overstated. There were some years after that in a different way felt a bit harder than some of the stuff pre. And there was a really distinct moment that began the ultimate, this is all on the process of healing, right? Like I'm actually, I can say it again in hindsight, I'm just so glad for like the years of chubby Emily and like the years of like going through this whole process because when you like, oh, I'm healed, I'm better, I, I did it. And then you just keep maintaining those standards. I don't really think I would have been free. I would have still been living in fear of maintaining something. And so this like, I blew my life up. I left college. I like didn't have money, was traveling, trying to learn to make documentaries, but like not really achieving anything outwardly. Took a long time to finish my degree. Wasn't able to run fast anymore. All the stuff I'd built my life on. And that all came to a head about eight years ago. I'm, I'm on this documentary trip because the one thing that had happened after rehab is the creative me came back to life. So the mess is all there. At this point, my perfect life blew up. It's a full on mess, but at least I'm creative. <laughs> <laughs> Seeds. I would write about all this too. I've, mm -hmm. I hope um, no one finds these journals till I die, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm on this trip and I end up in Jordan, in Amman, Jordan, filming some of the refugee stuff there. And my friend is like, hey, they're doing a half marathon and it's all slightly downhill and it ends at the Dead Sea. Should we do this like once in a lifetime thing while we're here? Well, the last half marathon I ran was eight years before when I got a stress fracture, was 110 pounds, but was super, super fit. And I was like, sure, I had this like weird, like this seems self-punishing, but maybe it'll be this iconic experience. I have no idea, I was not in great shape. I had been traveling. I mean, for me, not in great shape, you know, I'd kind of been doing stuff, but not at all training. And I wasn't allowed to train, it's Jordan, so I couldn't run as a woman. Really? <laughs> yeah, other than this race. Like I tried to run the stairs in our building and someone had to step out and be like, could you not do that? And I was like, I'm because wearing pants. you're a woman? Yeah. They just Whoa. didn't want to see me exercising. That's a thing? Oh, there's a whole story there. That's wow. a whole other story about Jordan. That's crazy. <laughs> but the moment I'm coming to is that I run this race, guys. And I have never had such a concentrated experience of self-hatred as I did on this freaking half marathon. I'm running slow. I feel like I'm constantly like living in this state of comparison to this prior me that ran the last race. I'm slower, I'm, I look different, I'm you know, bigger, I'm all this stuff, I'm reflecting, and then that's a snowball, right? We know when we get on these snowballs, and then it's just like, wee, downhill, <laughs> like everything gloms on, and you can find a million reasons that you suck. So that's where I was. Mile after mile, worse and worse, it's slowing me down, I'm like, oof, bad, bad news. I finished this thing very slowly. <laughs> 
and that's when it was so interesting. I was, I was so wrapped up in this like, oh, like hatred, like that pendulum, right? The same Emily that had been achieving and had all these high standards, it was the same attitude I had over here. It's just that I wasn't achieving the standards. And so I hated myself for it, but it's kind of same, same, like these pendulums are all the same attitude. So I ended up having this remarkable conversation with one of our friends there who, who randomly started telling me the story about forgiving his father for something pretty gnarly, for betraying the family. And he's like, you know what's weird? The day I forgave my father, um, I'd carried all this extra weight, but I'd also carried like physical weight and baggage and all this stuff. He's like, from that day on, things just started dropping off my body. He was like, I just lost like 40 pounds. So that was like, oh, maybe I can lose weight. But as he's talking, I started to be struck by something else. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Something about forgiveness just like gripped me while he's telling me the story and my feet are in the Dead Sea and I'm like listening. And he was like, yeah, it changed my life. Finally letting go of that weight. And I, I turn around from that conversation, I'm walking away, I'm like, I don't have to forgive anybody and it just like hit me like a ton of bricks um, that I need to forgive myself. And this can sound really like woo woo, but when you, go through a moment like that, it's just the realest, most jarring thing to realize that you have one enemy and that enemy who is constantly tearing you down, berating you is yourself. Mm. Like that moment struck me that for however many years after rehab, I had created a habit of really hateful thoughts toward myself and I would battle them, but I'd still want to hold on to this standard. And I thought the only way to live up to that standard again was to keep beating myself up till I got there. And it was like, all of a sudden I had this very clear picture of my path of life in front of me, this amazing path to walk, but I'm stuck at the starting line because I'm turned in on myself, beating myself up. And I realized like you can never get anywhere if you're split and at war with yourself. And so I had this really interesting experience of of sitting down and the forgiveness that I gave to myself was also something that I felt like God was extending was like you need to make peace you need to radically accept who you are right now this version of Emily that has no longer achieved the things you wanted that's mid-20s and is not lived up to what you thought you would be at like not just forgiveness but full-on I'm gonna embrace this version of me like I'm hugging me saying it it's okay that you're this right now. I'm going to make peace with that. And I'm only going to move forward as this. Mm. I'm not going to wait for the day that I become the person I think I should be to have a life. It was a really radical experience. And I would say that was the next like biggest catalyst for me to actually really shift my life was like, what do I really have to work with? It's, it's this me right here. Not the me that I'm going to be five months from now once I've got my ish together. It's this one. And so that was, that was the next stage. And I have completely forgotten how we got on this train of thought. It's something you said, but the point being, <laughs> there, are these, there are these radical pendulums we can go to, but I feel like real healing often doesn't come from, you know, like you said, that like hyper intense culture of like, I gotta be this for an identity, but also on the other side from totally abandoning it and being like, no, I can't even, like there's something about making peace right now with the person we are, the struggles we have, the moments that we are lapsing, all of those things and looking at ourselves. And I would say, not just looking at ourselves, it doesn't do much for me. The thing that really helped me in that moment was the confidence that there was 
that divine, personal, intimate, caring love beyond me that was like, I see you, I love you right now. And that experience started to proliferate after that moment where even beyond me forgiving myself, I would have these moments of feeling like I was at my worst. I was in a really dark time, still trying to figure out the eating disorder stuff or travels. And I would feel this incredible presence of like, you do not have to deserve this. It's all yours. And that was the catalyst too. It's like, yes, we can forgive ourselves, but sometimes, and I would say most often, we need a source of love that is beyond us, mm. that steps in to be like, you don't have to prove anything to deserve this. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to earn this. It is just here. And it has been here at your darkest moments. And so the self-forgiveness and all of that is just agreeing with that mm. and not mustering it up for ourselves. Yeah. She just like filmed the whole movie right now. <laughs> like that's crazy. Yeah. Cause right now I was like listening yeah. to her story and I was like thinking, dude, she could totally make this into a film. Oh, that's <laughs> the thing. I was, I started this whole thing by saying my running and creative worlds are coming together. Yeah. Mm. The movie I'm making now that we're at this point, finished a grad school degree. Yeah. I'm making a feature film or funding it right now. Script is ready about a woman running and her journey with, um, regret and grief and all of these things. So this was like the teaser. This was the teaser for the film. <laughs> yeah. In theaters, summer of 2025. <laughs> yeah. No, because like I was like thinking like, man, I already see the visual of like in that last run scene as like it's ending the movie where like flashes back to those like moments mm -hmm. of trauma and depression and then it goes back and then like then you film like the parallel moments leading up to the like the final right at that last moment it's like bah she finishes the race and she's like <laughs> breathing heavy there she meets her maker <laughs> I love it. Kevin, man. would you like to be an extra in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, and as you're talking straight up, man, I'm over here just like praying as you're talking and I'm like thanking God because I like you are straight up ministering to me right now, literally right now. So I am in a uh, transition. I've been in a transitional period for hmm. probably years, I would say let's call it, you know, the beginning of the pandemic to present day. And uh, yeah, my my career as a dancer that I've been, you know, kind of, um, I've identified myself as like, this is who you are. You're a professional dancer and you do it at this level and blah, blah, blah. So I put this expectation on myself to be like, this is, you have to maintain this for you to be even okay with yourself. Like I, you know, I, I'm like, I'm like in real time sort of unpacking even the way that I'm sort of, um, you know, evaluating like this uh, level of value that I think I bring to the world. And that's mm -hmm. super meta, but like, um, and, and then now that like, okay, dancing is not, it's not there as it once was, right? Not to say that it's gone. I mean, praise God that I have a body that can still functionally do that, but, um, you know, like call it, let's say the last 20 years of what that looked like moving into the next 20 years, it's not going to look the same. That's 100% for sure. It's not going to look the same as it has in the past. So then there's this like, oh, okay, so then now what, now what, what's the next thing? What's the next thing that I'm going to be able to at that level and at that caliber be able to be like, all right, well, here's my next 
dance, mm. my next quote unquote dance for the next 20 years. And then there's this frustration of like, I don't have it yet. Mm. I should have it. Why isn't it not here yet? And let's just say, and I'm asking myself the question now in real time, let's just say I don't find another quote unquote dance, something that I put in so much time, energy and passion into as I did with dance. What if I don't find it at that level? If it's just not anything that looks like that, and that scares me, to be totally honest with you. It scares me to be like, what if I don't find another thing that I'm like, man, I lived like 20 plus years as just going hard at this thing. And I, and then I also achieved all this, you know, success through it and blah, blah, blah. People know me for that. And, and um, going back to even right now to this marathon training thing, like I ran my first half in 2021. And, you know, I got myself up to the shape that I wanted to be in that I was like, cool, I, I, I completed it within the, the goal time that I wanted, did it with like an injured foot with plantar fasciitis, the whole thing. So I was like, oh, cool. I even did it with an injured foot and um, Goggins. God, that's the Goggins <laughs> in me. But uh, but going going back to starting this new adventure of like, OK, the Long Beach Marathon, I got I got a little over a month to now to train for this thing. And I just started, it's only been a week or so. And then on Monday I ran, I went for a run. I mean, granted, I, it's summertime, it's hot outside. So I had the elements against me, but I, cause I don't, I, I pride myself in, in never having to walk. I'm like, I, I could just run the whole thing. Whatever I do, I just run it. Like in this, you know, short, you know, it was like a little over a three, a little sub four, four mile run. I, my body just couldn't do it. I just, and then I had to walk probably like six or seven times I had to stop and walk and I was so discouraged I was like dude you you're you didn't used to be like this you were in better shape before and then you know I mean, I'm mentally battling okay well you just started training again you're gonna get back up there but in that moment I felt so discouraged and defeated um, and that's so why I'm kind of even identifying with just yeah. the way that you ran that that half you know in the Jordan or whatever and you're just like man I just don't have it how I used to and so, but you know, going from there to just being like, you are always going to be disappointed when everything is based off of your performance, right? Whether like, you know, your, your, your glory days were this and in your prime, you were doing this. And then now that you're no longer in your prime, whatever the prime means even, if you're basing life off of how once upon a time, life looked like this and now once now that we're here it doesn't look like that I mean of course that's going to push you into a place of judgment upon yourself mm -hmm. and then that can lead to things like depression and, and there's all kinds of rabbit holes that we can go down into and so as you're talking about um, yeah just like taking your focus off of the what are you able to accomplish right now and allowing yourself to just be in the love that already is there for you, that has constantly been there, that will never leave you. And that's also difficult because I, I, I was challenged or like last week by one of my mentors and she was like, hey, why don't you just like, instead of praying about all the things that you want to happen, like, you know, I want to challenge you to just sit and just receive the fact that God loves you right now, just fully as you are right now, he doesn't need you to, you know, run at a faster pace without walking. He doesn't need you to read the Bible more. He doesn't need you to pray longer. 
Um, he just wants to love you. Like, like I want to challenge you to just sit and just receive that. And it was tough because uh, my mind just keeps going to other places. I'm like, oh, but God, I still need this. Or Lord, please help me with that and blah, 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 blah. And so I, I say all that to say, I mean, one, what you said is truth. And I, I will completely just like agree and affirm and validate that. And I will say it's still tough. It's still tough. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and again, we this this whole show, the way in which we want to tell our stories is not with this idealism of like, oh yeah, like just receive the depth of God's love and everything will be fine. It's like, yeah, but it's still tough. You know what I mean? Yes, we battle our flesh. We have our insecurities. Um, our, some days are, are better than others. Um, but I think the beauty of, you know, even hearing your story, I know probably every single one of us here, our journey with God has never been linear. It's never just been like, oh, once, once I made this decision and then I made this decision and then it just kept going up and up and up. It's like, no, we've, I know for me, man, I've done this to go back this way to like, you know, I've done all that. And to know that every single step of the way God has been present and is present and will be present. And simply that knowledge, it's not even this like, it's a nice thought to have. It's, it's a true belief, it's a true like knowledge. Like, no, that's what the Bible says. Whether I believe it or not, it says that. Or not, like whether I feel it or not, it says that. And I do believe it. But sometimes our feelings, we, we tug of war with our feelings, you know what I'm saying? So, I have a yeah. thought, just that little thought note on that, that what you said and highlighted was really important that it's not linear mm. and you know going to going to rehab wasn't my shining moment and it was all uphill from there there was mm -hmm. there were other dips but i think the greatest thing i've learned through that process is life is is like hard <laughs> like life is hard yeah. what's crazy is we're wired for hard like there's a way to begin embracing that it's going to be hard and I'm going to continue to learn through each iteration of hard. And then what becomes so empowering is that I've learned where, and this is a process of literally retraining our brains. It's like neuroplasticity is the process of learning where you consistently set your focus, where your mind magnetizes and ruminates. And that, just like waking up every day and running or waking up every day and brushing your teeth so that you, your teeth are healthy, it's simple and com complicated at the same time, but we can train where we focus. And I would say everything about the story I just shared, the breakdowns and the healing was all a matter of where my inner attention and my thoughts and my gaze was going. So the Emily that was struggling so hard pre-rehab was constantly ruminating on a more perfect body that I need to have in my life reflected where my, my inner world was consistently being trained to go. The Emily afterward was constantly ruminating on how I'd failed those standards. And I think the greatest freedom has just come by that little everyday being like, there's somewhere else to look. There's something else to think about that begins to incrementally hard long process but so encouraging because incrementally your life opens up a little more as you focus as you ruminate as you think and ponder on being loved as you think and ponder on 
Yes, the glory days may very well be behind, but what's not behind is the incredible opportunity to get to know new people, to be curious mm. about a million things you never got access to before. There's so much left to discover. And so the, the process of retraining our focus is hard work, but the hard work pays off every single day. And so it's something that like I've, I've tried to become addicted to in a new way is like, I, there is always something else freer, more hopeful and lighter to look at in this world. There is definitely the dark, hard, depressing, overwhelming stuff. There's both. But as I train and, and you know, teach myself and am taught to continually begin gravitating my thoughts and my focus this way, my life changes. So that's just kind of like agreeing and reiterating the process is not linear, it's hard, but that's the hard work mm. that is also beautiful work that we get mm. to do every day is choose where our attention is going. Yeah. Yeah, like today, um, I mean, I love I, I love like all of this, honestly. I was just like listening. There's so many different themes I was we were talking about, but it still kept revolving around something. And I think I think I might this might be the word, but um the word identity just kept coming up in my head, mm. right? And so it's like where do we find our identity? Where do we where do we sit in it? Where it's not just Yes, we have to practice at it. We have to work on it. We have to become it, like literally. And we have to be addicted to it, which is this new identity. And and this is why this, and this is going to get a little woo-woo, but I love it, Do is it. that um, as someone that is understanding the world in the eyes of also the spirit, not just the physical, we, because we were born in the image of God, for me, is that I understand that my life, my physical body will die and end here on earth. However, me as who I am in spirit will live in, in eternity. So that means my identity is in eternity and it's not here. And it's like that realization. And what's crazy is this even makes it more real why we have such addictive personalities because we have an infinite want. And the only identity I could have that could fill my infinite want is someone that can infinitely give me that need and fill it. And so I was literally talking about this the other day where infinitely, if I have this insatiable forever addiction, God is the only one that could fill that because he could forever give me the love I need. And so I was like, so in that identity then, if identity is, if that is my identity, then no matter what happens, no matter how much I beat myself up or others don't approve of my work or whatever, or whatever I'm doing, it doesn't matter because my identity will always be, I am God's favorite son. Mm. And if that's my identity, I walk in that invincible nature in all things. And I think that's something that has been like really eye-opening in moments that suck. Cause like even today, uh, on my way here, and I'll just make this one quick because we'll di dive deeper in this one later. Like I have trauma and different things and I have relational issues with my mom and dad, right? And something happened in the last few days that um, that I'll, I'll dive deeper in another episode, I promise, um, that triggered me like hard. And I haven't had a trigger that hard in a while. And I just felt like immediately, like I just went to a dark place. Like I was just like, F it. Like, I don't feel good. Like, I don't want to do anything. And I almost didn't realize where it came from. 
Cause I like, cause it came, it blindsided me so bad that I was like, am I going through a chemical imbalance? Like I literally thought something was go- like wrong. Cause I didn't realize what it felt to be that upset again. Like this was like yesterday and today. And then, and it was because in that moment I was because of my triggers of my parents and who they are, I started to go back into that identity of like who that was. Like I am this messed up whatever, whatever, because I'm uh, associated with whatever. Like it all started coming, tumbling down. And then right now, literally as we're listening and I'm listening to you share, I'm listening to you process, I'm listening to you share. And I'm just sitting here going, man, it feels good right now because I'm being reminded that my identity has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's just noise. Yeah. My true identity is with God. And so that's, that was the thought I was having while that's you guys so were talking. Yeah. 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 It's a good thought. It's a great thought. <laughs> You're um, showing on that thought. Well, yeah. for the sake of time, I yes. feel like uh, we can go forever with you. I feel like we didn't even really scratch the surface. No, we didn't on, get like, to the yeah, We're going to do a, yeah, part yeah. two, part three, well, part four. I feel like we say this with everybody, but we mean it. We want more parts where we can talk about you other things. You heard him things. say it. Yes. This it's is happening. just the introductory of like, yeah, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> um, but uh, as as um, with every episode, so this show is called Good Service. And um, yeah, we, we, we love to break bread and and share a meal um, highlighting food establishments with their good food and their good service but also um, everybody in the world um, serves a purpose Um, so and everybody provides a service to the worlds that they kind of run in Uh, for you what would you say or how would you define good service what is good what is service and what is your good service Okay, good. We have another hour, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. What a quality question. Two parts. Okay, so I think I could just, I'll just speak about it in terms of me and what I feel like my purpose is here. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of ways that people blow me away with good service and have different ideas of it. As far as I've experienced it and through the whole journey I just took you guys through, I think. Well, there's a vision statement I have for my filmmaking, which we didn't really get into it, but it's just born out of what I lived and born out of what I feel like was those moments where the window opened to me to be like, oh, that pinhole of light or that that tiny bit of hope or that sense of love I got to experience that ultimately radically changed my life. I feel like because I experienced that, because my life is transformed by that, the whole intent of my art is to open that window for other people. And I'm obsessed with this idea that through a film, you can take this thing you experienced here and translate it onto a screen in a way that it gives someone else that moment and that feeling that like beyond a movie, beyond anything else, their life could be transformed, that there's hope available to them, that something could shift, that they could come alive or come awake. It's all very lofty, but it's exactly why I want to make movies. And I don't just think of myself as a filmmaker, which is great. That's one way to do that, I think. But just realizing through all of these losses and gains of identity and all the ups and downs, I just feel like I'm here to be awakened to that love that has changed my life and then to just wake as many people up with me as possible. And 
That can happen through a film. That can happen through a podcast. Um, it can happen when I'm running, which I feel like running with people is another way, mm. or hosting creative retreats. There's a hundred ways. Mm, mm. That's good. That's good. Um, well, how can people support, follow your journey? I know there's a, probably a ton of stuff that you can talk about, but maybe the immediate things. Um, I mean, you have social media. Yes. To plug that. Yeah. Come follow my journey on. Actually, yeah. I, I post all of my random inner creativity and projects and everything over on my Instagram, which is very simple. E dot C dot Timmer. So my initials E dot C dot Timmer. And that encompasses everything I talked about, like the running, the creativity, the yeah. filmmaking, the whole journey is there. I would say stay tuned. Check in if you want there, but stay tuned for the films that are coming up. I'm working on funding the one that the script is done. We're in the talks for a lot of things, have done three scouting trips. The other one is just starting to be written, but that's a very exciting thriller film, Ben. Ooh, it's up your alley, I a little scary. thrillers. Yeah, so follow along. Um, Instagram is where I share a lot of stuff, and I'm always open to chats with new friends. Yes, yes. Make sure folks follow Emily. Her stuff is dope, and uh, yeah, all the latest and greatest will be on her Instagram. And thank you all for watching or listening to this episode. If you are finding us for the first time, we have other episodes with amazing guests such as Emily. So make sure you follow, like, subscribe. We are on socials at Good Service Pod, Instagram, TikTok and youtube we are on youtube so if you guys like Ooh. to watch the videos these will be up on youtube we appreciate you guys we love y'all until the next one peace out good service we out thank you for listening to this episode make sure you like follow and subscribe and leave us that five star rating follow us on instagram and tiktok at good service pod and on youtube at good service podcast and if you'd like to support us, you can donate on Cash App at Good Service Podcast. Thank you. Peace.